Um, there was a book uh, that I read a few years ago called uh, The Defining Decade, right? And in this book, um, the author mentions that uh, your 20s are your defining decade, right? They say, the author was saying that your 20s more than any other years, more than any other decade of your life are the most uh, pivotal to how you are shaped, to the way how you think, to how you even act. Uh, the author said that um, your 20s, how you uh, process them, affects profoundly the way that you think and act in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. You know, all the reviews uh, said that this is a book that all 20-year-olds should read at least once. Uh, I read this book when I turned 30, so this book was kind of worthless to me. But, uh, you know, but the thing is, as I was reading it, uh, it honestly made a lot of sense. Your 20s are the defining decade of your life because scientifically, how you think and act in your 20s, it changes the way that you view the rest of your life. It affects every other year of your life. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because in the book of Philippians, Paul, he is asking a very simple and yet very profound question. And that question is, what is the definition of your life? How do you define your life? Because what he's trying to get at is that the way that you define your life will affect every other part of your life. Whatever thing that you put in the middle of your life, whatever thing that you say, this is what my life is about, that one thing isn't contained in that one area. It will affect every other part of your life. It is your definition of life. You see, the Bible tells us that everybody is defined by something. Everybody is defined by someone. Whether it's your money, whether it's your job, whether it's your family or your friends, your life will be defined by something. And so Paul is asking in this passage here, what is the definition of your life? See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it away here. I'm going to memento it, and I'm going to tell you the end point first and, and then start from there. You see, for Paul, the definition of his life is found in verse 21. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, his definition of life was based on Jesus Christ. That's it. And so that's why no matter how difficult things became, no matter how hard life was for him, no matter how disappointed he may have thought he would be, he was still able to rejoice. He was still able to have joy. He was still able to have peace. He was still able to be faithful to God. Because you see, his definition was Christ. And so the way that he viewed his circumstances was through the lens of Christ. How is Jesus working in this? How is Jesus working in this illness? How is Jesus working in my financial situation? How is Jesus working in this area of my life that I have no control over? For Paul, his mindset was so vastly different than everybody else's. And it's not because he was some super Christian. It's not because he was otherworldly. It's because his definition of life was simply different than everybody else's. For everyone else, their definition of life was their career. 
It was their money. It was their family. And so that's why when circumstances happen, they viewed those circumstances through the lens of their family, of their friends, of their money. And yet, church for Christians, for us, the Bible tells us that when your definition of life is Jesus Christ, the way that you view circumstances, the way that you view illnesses, the way that you view everything is going to be drastically different. Because the Bible promises one thing. It says that God's plans are bigger than the world's circumstances. That God's plans are greater than Satan's evil. That's what we believe. And that's what God promises to his children. And so that's why when we look at passages like this, when we look at the Bible and read about a man named Paul who continues on and goes to prison and and encounters hardship after hardship after hardship, it is so strange because in it all, he continues to say, don't worry about me because I have joy. Don't worry about me because I'm good. Don't worry about me because I'm fine. You see, there was an author who wrote that the measure of a person's spiritual character is what it takes to steal their joy. In other words, at whatever point your joy breaks down, that's the level of your spiritual strength. That's why when, for me, I, when I look at my spiritual mentors, there's nothing that really is up and down about them. They don't really experience these huge peaks or these huge valleys. There is this steadiness and there is this joy that's within their lives. They remind me of a rock in a river, just steady, flowing. For me, as I was thinking about what to speak on today, I couldn't help but think of everything that is to happen for us. There's a lot that is going to change in the future. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to change the times, we're going to change the location, we're going to start life groups, we're going to do all of these different things with the church. It's going to be an entirely new church, you could even say. And at the same time, I've talked to many of you, and I know that this is a season not of transition, this is a season where you are going to be starting something so brand new and so fresh and so wild. And I am so excited for you. And so we see collectively all of these things are going to change. We see personally all of these things are going to change as well. But in the midst of it, I know that it is so easy to lose focus of Jesus Christ. I know that the busier that we get, the easier it is to become about us, to become about our work, to become about our school, to become about our family and our friends. And and that's why church... That's why today I just want to give you a simple message, one that I really feel God has been pressing upon my heart to share to you. And it's the question, what is the definition of your life? Is it Jesus Christ? Is it Jesus Christ? You see, for Paul, it's important to understand where he was when he wrote the book of Philippians. Paul, he was in Rome preaching the gospel. 
He was doing what God had ordained him to do. He was doing what he was called to do. He was doing what he was passionate to do. And yet in the midst of him preaching in Rome, the people were so furious that he was on the verge of death, that he was getting beaten and stoned. And so in the midst of all of that, the guards and the government ended up taking him out of Rome and putting him in prison. It wasn't necessarily to imprison him more than to protect him from the people. And so they put him in prison and they chained him there. Now, what we learn in the book of Acts is that his imprisonment was actually kind of interesting. It was kind of strange. Because for Paul, he was such a high-priority criminal that what they ended up doing to him is that they put him under house arrest, but they chained him to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for two years. And so what happened was every few hours they would change the guard, right? And they would take off the chain for the guard, put another guard there. But for Paul, he would always constantly be chained next to a guard. He would eat next to a guard. He would sleep next to a guard. He would go to the bathroom next to a guard. For Paul, there was no privacy and there was no freedom. And so he begins to write the book of Philippians. And in this passage here, he writes by starting out saying, I want you to know that what has happened to me. In other words, what he's saying here is, I want you to know that I'm okay. What he's doing is he's consoling the Philippian church. And he's consoling them because they were deeply upset and frustrated. And you know what? I think it kind of makes sense that this church would be frustrated because here was their leader. Here was a man obviously called from God. Here was a man who had all the giftings of the entire world. And yet in the prime of his life, he was stuck in prison. In the prime of his life, he couldn't leave his home. In the prime of his life, he couldn't do the calling that God had placed him to do. And so they were upset. They were disappointed. Think of all the great things that he could be doing, and yet he was stuck there. Think of how much God had prepared him to preach and teach in that moment, and yet he was stuck there. I think for many of us, more than anger or frustration, the emotion that many of us struggle with is disappointment. We're disappointed because we had never envisioned that our lives would be this way. We're disappointed because we had never thought that we would be where we are at this moment. We are disappointed because there are things that we had hoped for that had never transpired. And I believe that the Philippian church must have been thinking something quite similar. You see, the greatest Christian leader of that time, their pastor and their friend, was in prison. And all they could do was wait. All they could do was ask God to free him, and yet he wasn't being freed. Think of how much fasting, how much prayer, how much early morning services that they must have been doing for Paul. And yet for two straight years, there was no answer. Think of how disappointed they must have been. 
But you see, church, Paul was not disappointed. Because in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, in other words, what he's saying is that the condition that he's in, the circumstances that he's a part of, those things have turned out to advance and progress the gospel. That the things that he is encountering at that moment is actually enhancing his calling in life. That the thing that God has placed upon his heart, the passion, the, the thing that he is most passionate about, he could not have envisioned it to be occurring the place that he is in, and yet it is occurring there as well. You see, he's saying that even though he could not have planned this on his own, God is orchestrating these things to happen so that his ultimate will would be done. For Paul, he had a plan for his life. It wasn't to be in prison. The Philippian church had a plan for his life. It wasn't to be in prison. But God had a better plan. God had a better plan. You see, verse 13, it says, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see, Paul's leadership, what, you, what we have to understand is that Paul's leadership is uh, unparalleled. His teaching and his preaching ability is incomparable. He could go into any major cosmopolitan city in the Greco-Roman world and begin preaching from the steps or from the temple, and immediately he would begin debating and people would get, begin converting to Christ. And just after some time, what would happen is that so many people would become converted that he would plant a church there and go to the next city and do, do the same thing over again. That was the, the leadership and the power that God had given Paul. And yet, what you have to also understand is that even for a man of his influence, one of the most difficult areas for him to speak into was the Roman government. That as much influence as he may have had with scholars, with other Jewish leaders, with all these other people, the Roman government was one of the places that was very difficult for him to get into. But I want you to see what happens. Because you see, Paul, the greatest evangelist at that time, in the prime of his career, is sent to prison where he has Roman guards literally attached to him 24-7. These are the same Roman guards who protect and care for the Roman officials. And these guards are chained to one of the most persuasive evangelists in the history of the world. You see, do you see how God has orchestrated these things for his ultimate glory? Do you see how God orchestrated these things to pursue, to pursue the calling that God has placed upon Paul's life? Paul had a specific idea and a plan for his life. It was to go in this one direction. The church had a specific plan and a purpose for Paul to go in this other direction. And yet God had a different plan, and it was a better plan for Paul. And so there was no need for disappointment. There was no need to be upset. And that's what Paul is trying to tell the church. He's saying, look, you may have had a plan. I may have had a plan. But at the end of the day, God has an ultimate plan that is bigger and better than any circumstance of this world, that is bigger and better than any evil that this world can produce. And it is something that, is, that he has placed upon my life. 
So he's saying, don't worry, don't worry. You see, this was the mindset of Paul. He never expected to see the entire picture. But he trusted that God was going to do something in his life. He trusted that God would keep his promises. He trusted that God was going to bring good from the bad. Church, I want to tell you that the Bible says God has a plan for your life. Some of you are disappointed that your life has turned out this way. Some of you have been waiting for something to happen for a very long time. Some of you are frustrated because this life isn't what you had hoped it would be. But I want you to know that God's plans are bigger than your mistakes. I want you to know that God's plans are bigger than the circumstances of this world. I know. I know that for some of us, maybe your plans aren't what you had envisioned. I know that for some of you, your plans aren't what your parents had hoped for. But it is a plan that God has placed in your life. Because here's the thing, it is the best thing for you. And the place that you are here today, the place that you are in in your whatever it is, God has placed you there for a reason. You are not alone in that spot. In the book of Jeremiah, the people are in the midst of hardship and suffering. And what they're praying for is an immediate rescue. They're calling out to God and they say, God, would you rescue me from this place? Would you take me out from my hardship? Would you place me in a different area? But you see, God's response was interesting. Because it wasn't to provide an immediate rescue. It wasn't to provide an immediate escape. Instead, God promises that he would help them prosper where they were. He says, look, in your situation where you are today, I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm not going to rescue you from it. Instead, I'm going to give you the tools necessary for you to thrive where you are. Because you know what? I have called you to be my people. I have called you to be my children. And so you are going to be the salt and the light to the people around you. So no, no, I'm not going to rescue you from them. I'm going to send you in there to rescue them. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I want you to know, church, that when he says those words, it's not to take them out from their hardship. It's not to take them out from where they were. It was to keep them in that place so that they could be an effect, so that they could be a light, so that they could be the salt to the people around them. And this is the mindset of Paul. But look, the question becomes here, okay, if that's the mindset of Paul, how does he think this way? How is it possible for someone to think like this? In other words, how am I supposed to still have hope like this? How am I supposed to still act like Paul or think like Paul? And look, that's a good question. And I want you to know that it all goes back to Paul's simple and yet profound question that he is asking all of us today. What is the definition of your life? For Paul, his answer was in verse 21, 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The definition of his life was Jesus Christ. And that's why he was still okay in prison. For him, he knew that he couldn't plant churches anymore. He knew that he couldn't do the work that he had desired or that he wanted. But you see, his career was not his life. He knew that he couldn't see his friends anymore. He knew that he couldn't go back to that church that he deeply loved and invested in. But he was okay because for him, his friends were not his life. For him, his life was Jesus Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. My brothers and sisters, I want to speak candidly. If your life falls apart when your circumstances go bad, the problem is not the circumstances of your life. It is the definition of your life. Check your definition of your life. Check what is in the center of your life. Because if your life falls apart when your career falls apart, I want you to know that the definition of your life, even though you may say that it's Jesus Christ, it's actually your career. If your life falls apart when you and your spouse get in a fight, I want you to know that even if you say that Jesus Christ is the definition of your life, it's actually your spouse. And so this is my call to you. This is my my cry to you guys. That you would take time, really reflect in your own heart and and ask yourselves that one question. What is really the definition of my life? For Paul, he had the deepest understanding of the Christian life, and that's what set him apart. It didn't matter how terrible life became, because as long as he had Jesus Christ, he had joy. He had joy. He says, don't worry, I'm okay, because I have Jesus. Is that your answer as well? And look... I know that it's, it can be sensitive when I talk about family. It can be sensitive when I talk about children because it's hard to prioritize God when you have children. It's hard to prioritize God when you have all of these other responsibilities. And so it becomes kind of this juggling act. But I want you to know that there is a beautiful added benefit when you place Jesus first. And it's this, that Jesus loves your children more than you. It's this, that Jesus loves your spouse more than you. And it's this, it's that Jesus loves you more than you. So when you define your life through Jesus Christ, what's going to naturally end up happening is that you are going to end up loving your spouse more. What's going to end up happening is that you will end up loving your children more. You're going to end up caring for your friends more because you see what we talked about before Whatever becomes the definition of your life, it is going to affect every other part of your life. And so the way that you see your children is not going to be through your own lens. It will be through the lens of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He loves them more than you do. You know? Church, as we head into the last few weeks before we transition into the chapel And before all these different things come about, I just want to ask you, reflect on your own heart. It is so easy to lose focus of what is most important when we're in the midst of our our busyness and upon everything else. And so that's why I really do feel called 
to preach this and, to, and just to ask you this question, what is the definition of your life? I hope and I pray that for us as Shining Star Community Church, that whatever path you may go through, whatever situation you may be in, whatever thing may come up in the future, that your answer to that question will be Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.